we're going today to take one week uh, and, and talk about community. Uh, I've titled this message, How We Are Created for Community. Created for community. Um, we're going to talk at the end of service today about our city groups. You've got this yellow sheet in your seat, and we didn't plan it this way, but apparently yellow and black is the theme today because we got Church United posters around the building in yellow and black, and we got these cards on your seat sharing about our city groups. Don't worry about looking at them now. You're going to have plenty of time to look over this later. I promise you that. Um, but we're going to bring our city group leaders up here and let them share with you about their groups and their vision and what the purpose of the different group is and how you can get involved in it. But before before we do, I want to talk to you about what I believe is perhaps the defining challenge of our generation, but simultaneously, I believe the defining opportunity of the church in our generation. I want to talk to you about loneliness and isolation. I believe very strongly that we are the greatest isolated generation that ever existed, that literally every generation that came before us had an understanding, a sense of community that exceeds what we live in. I, I believe that our generation is starved for community. Uh, especially probably men. I think women are a little better at this than men are, but it doesn't mean that every woman is or that all women are or that women are living at the level that God has intended. I just think you're ahead of us because as men, man, we are bad at this. Uh, but the reality is this generation is very isolated. It's obviously very ironic because we have a device in all of our pockets that hypothetically keeps us connected to everybody around us. Hypothetically, we should be the most connected generation that ever was because we have access to each other's lives in a level that has never been seen before. But I believe it's pseudo-connection. I believe it's counterfeit connection. In fact, I believe it's deceptive connection. It's almost like a vaccination, like an inoculation. You get just a little bit of it, so it keeps you from actually getting the amount that you need. Let me illustrate a little bit some of the problems before we get to the solutions. Uh, Dan Butner, who's the author of Blue Zones. Blue Zones is a book that, that examines seven different areas, communities globally, where people live the longest, uh, where they have the greatest life expectancy on planet Earth. Uh, and he looks at these seven communities to see what's different about them. Obviously, there's aspects of diet and exercise, right? Like we all know the, the health implications of those two things. But his book digs deep deeper below the surface to see what is it about these communities that is unique that allows these people to live not just longer lives, but healthier lives, sustaining lives, fulfilling lives. Uh, he has a TV show now on Netflix that just came out, and in season one, episode one of his TV show, he said this, and it grabbed me, and I was like, man, I, I've got I've to share this. I've got to teach this. He says this. He says, in the United States, we have a loneliness epidemic. You guys identify with that? Do you experience that? Do you know people who are experiencing that? He says, in the U.S., we have a loneliness epidemic. He says, we are a population that is increasingly isolated, increasingly lonely, that increasingly needs human connection now more than ever. He goes on to say this he's in his studies. He says, now we're discovering in America that loneliness can cost 15 years off of life expectancy. I'm going to say that one again. Loneliness can cost 15 years off of life expectancy. Think about that. 15 years, he says. There's no pill, no supplement, no blockbuster drug that can give us anywhere near 15 years. 
Why is this happening? Why does loneliness and isolation correlate to people living 15 years less than those who have connection, than those who have community? Well, I believe it's this. I believe you were literally created for a community. I think it's in your DNA. It's in your imprint. It's in the God image that he put on you in creation. Let's go back to the beginning. What does God say in the book of Genesis? He says, now let us make mankind in our image. The very statement of creation is a statement of God's community. God the Father looks at God the Son and God the Holy Spirit in divine community, the Trinity, and he speaks in the plural, which is kind of awkward, which is kind of weird, right? Like we think of God as one, and he's like, let us. I think there's so much depth here, guys. There's so much truth there. He says, let us do this. He says, let us make mankind in our image. You were created in the image of God, and that means so many things. But one thing that means is you were created for community. You were created to live beyond yourself. We know this because what happens next? He creates Adam, and then he looks down, and he says, it's not good for man to be alone all throughout the creation story. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. At the end of the creation story, when there's Adam and Eve, he says, it's very good, but when there's just Adam, it's not good. Now, yes, that's a marriage verse. Yes, there's other implications there, but I think there's some deep implications simply for connectivity and community. It's not good for man to be alone. And we live in the loneliest generation that ever existed. That means there's a lot of not good going on in people's lives. There's a lot of suffering in people's lives. It's literally choking the life out of people and costing us a decade and a half on our lifespan simply because of loneliness and isolation. See, the truth is, church, we are created for community. I want to share another quote with you here. Um, this is what the National Library of Medicine said. They said that loneliness increased to all-time highs during COVID-19. We all know that. But it was already so high in the United States, Europe, and China that before COVID, the National Institute of Medicine said we have a behavioral epidemic. So we didn't just get a pandemic of a virus. We got a pandemic of a virus on top of a pandemic of loneliness, which only further increased the loneliness because of lockdowns, because of shutdowns, because of social distancing, right? Like we literally pushed people apart from one another. And we can question the wisdom of the decisions, and we can get into the politics of it all, and, and, and that's not what this is about, what this is about is understanding the challenge that this generation faces was already great, and the last three years have done nothing but make the challenge greater. That's the bad news. The reality is this. Community looks like I know others and I am known. That's what community is designed to be. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to know others and we are supposed to be known. I believe inside each and every one of us, extrovert or introvert, People person or a lone person, right? Inside each and every one of us, in our DNA, there is a spiritual desire to be known. See, the reality is you can be isolated in a big group of people. 
You can be lonely with people all around you. It's possible in any type of group, whether that's at a school, that's in an apartment building, that's in a church auditorium. Just because there's people around doesn't mean that we're known, and it doesn't mean that we know others. There's something deeper than simply being around people that you were built for. You were built to know and be known. Why? Because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit exist in perfect unity and divine intimacy. They know each other. They know each other's thoughts, each other's desires. And within you, created in the image of God, there is a desire for that type of community, that type of intimacy. Now, we know ultimately we won't experience the fullness of that on this side of heaven. Ultimately, there will always be something short. There will always be a yearning for more. There will always be a desire to go to another level. But I don't think that means that we have to settle for just where we are. We don't think that means that we have to say, well, our generation just isn't good at this. I'm just going to accept the way it is. I believe God has uniquely positioned the church to resolve the problems of the culture. And so if we want real community, it means we must share not just life, but ourselves. Real community is not just doing life together. We use that phrase a lot, and it's a good phrase. But it's not just doing life together, because you can do life together and still be isolated. You can do life together and still be performing. You can do life together and still not have anyone really know who you are. True community is sharing yourself. And that's terrifying. That's horrific. Bo Burnham, the comedian, said in his 2016 special, he said this. I thought it was so insightful. He said, social media is just the market's answer to a generation that demanded to perform. So the market said, here, perform. Perform everything to each other all the time for no reason. Now, I think there are some advantages to social media, and I have social media, so I'm not saying everybody go home and delete your social media accounts. What I am saying is this. It absolutely does create a performance mentality. None of us are real on social media, right? Some of us are more real, and sometimes you encounter somebody who's too real, right? Because even if we are actually real and we make ourselves fully known, social media is the wrong place for that. And it's like, whoa, overshare. Uh, I'm going to hide this person's stuff so I don't have to see all that, right? Why? Because there's nothing real about it. There's nothing authentic. It's a performance device. And so there are tools in social media, there are things that can be beneficial, yes, but it's never going to solve the problem of community. It's never going to solve the issue of your God designed to be connected to others, to know and to be known. In the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 19, Jesus is famously speaking to the apostle Peter. And Peter says this, he makes this declaration that Jesus is the Christ, he's the son of God. And Jesus says, upon this rock of your declaration, I will build my church. I'm calling you Peter, uh, which means rock. And then he says this. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Everybody say the keys. God, Jesus, excuse me, as he's creating the church, as he's instituting the church, he says, I'm giving you the keys. Now he says, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. And then he says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. We know this this is a statement of authority. 
That God has positioned the church with the authority to speak into issues, with the authority to set people free, with the authority to bind up brokenheartedness and addiction and all of the issues we face. God, God has given us the authority, and he says, I've given you the keys. Now, this was not given to a pastor. This was not given to a disciple. This was given to the church. He's talking about the foundation of the church. He says, upon this rock, I will build my church, and I'm giving you the keys. God has given us the keys to whatever we see in the culture. And so instead of the church coming out and attacking the culture and speaking down to the culture and being frustrated and angry with the culture, it's about time the church started solving the problems of the culture. It's about time the church started exercising the authority that we've been given. We got the keys. And nobody else does. See, the reality is the local church is the hope of the world. We are God's plan A and he has no plan B. If we don't solve the problem, it's not going to be solved. I'm not saying government can't do anything. Government can make some better policies or some worse policies. Government can exacerbate problems or just diminish problems a little bit. But ultimately, government will never solve the problems of the culture. Government will never solve the problems of the generation. Why? Because Jesus didn't give government the keys. Jesus didn't give government that authority. Jesus gave the authority to his church. And so if the problem is ever going to be solved, we're the solution. Now, that can either be incredibly encouraging or massively discouraging. It just depends on what you think of the church. I'll tell you what it does for me. It fires me up. It gets me excited. There is a problem in our generation. In fact, there's more than one, but there's one we're talking about today. There's a challenge in our generation, and we got the, we got the keys. We got the authority. We've got the fix. He's given it to us. And so if loneliness and isolation are going to decrease instead of increase, if we're going to build the kind of community God has designed for people, not just Christians, but for people to have because everybody's created in his image. Whether the Holy Spirit lives in you or not, whether you're saved or not, you are created in the image of God. And so you have this God-given need and desire within your heart to know and to be made known. And so if that problem is ever going to be solved, it's not going to be solved at a bar. It's not going to be solved at a club. It's not going to be solved at the ballot box. It's not going to be solved on social media for sure. The only way that problem is ever going to be solved is if we get our act together and we live up to what Jesus has entrusted us with, the keys of the kingdom. Write this down if you're taking notes. The church has the keys to unlock the problems of loneliness and isolation. Look at the person next to you and say, we're it. Look at your second choice and say, even you. We're it, right? There's no plan B. If it's going to happen, it's going to be us. About 150 years ago, there was an ancient document discovered. This was a document that had been believed to have been lost to time. The early church fathers referred to this document many times, so it was known to have existed but nobody knew where it was. And then it was actually found in Constantinople, which is now Istanbul, Turkey. Uh, and the document is called the Didache. And the Didache, which was written sometime around the turn of the century, late first century or early second century AD. So somewhere between 50 and 80 years after Jesus walked the earth. 
very early church, the DDK says this. It says, seek out each day the presence of the saints so that you may find comfort in their words. The early church, the ones who ate together with glad and sincere hearts, they didn't believe that they just needed each other on Sunday mornings. They didn't believe that they just needed each other in a once-a-week small group. They believed that they were designed for a community seven days a week. That they needed to seek out the presence of the saints. In other words, it wasn't everybody else's job to come to me to speak comfort to me and encouragement to me. It was my job. It was incumbent upon me as a believer to seek out the saints. That the ball has been placed in each of our courts. We've been given the responsibility of community. Proverbs puts it this way. It says, if any man desires to have friends, he must show himself friendly. Right, and so it's not, man, everybody else is failing and nobody else loves me and nobody else is coming to me. It's I have the responsibility to pursue this. I have the responsibility to seek this out. I'm going to find, man, the saints. Why? Because there's comfort in one another. The author of Hebrews puts it this way. It says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. And then he says, all the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, the closer we get to the return of Jesus, the more we need to encourage each other. So we need this more today than they needed it 2,000 years ago. The author of Hebrews had no idea there was going to be a COVID-19. He had no idea there was going to be social media. Had no idea that there was going to be the type of isolation that we're experiencing today. But he knew the closer we got to the return of Jesus, the more God's people were going to need to encourage each other. We need each other, y'all. We are designed for one another. I need you and you need me. We need each other. This is the design God has placed. Here's why the church is uniquely positioned to solve the problems of loneliness and isolation. Because we serve a Savior who John chapter 1 verse 14 tells us Jesus came from the Father full of grace and full of truth. And we live in a world that thinks you got to choose one or the other. See, so you can find community outside of the church. You can. You can find community at the bar. You can find community at the club. You can find community in a Facebook group. You can find community on Tinder. I don't recommend it, but you can do it. <laughs> but you know what you can't find? You can't find grace and truth. Now, the reality is that can also oftentimes be true about church. You can't always find grace and truth at church. But you should. If we're Jesus people, if we're people that the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding, and we're allowing him to speak in our life, and we're allowing him to bear fruit within us, we are going to be people of grace and truth. The beauty of the design of a city group is that you can be fully you. You can be fully real, fully transparent. Here's what I'm going through. Here's what I'm dealing with. Here's what I'm praying for. Here's what's going on in my life, in my family. And you're going to be loved right there where you're at. The statement that you're free to struggle is not just a cool sign to put on the wall. It is the heartbeat of God's design for church, I truly believe. Not just for city church, but certainly for city church. Why? Because Jesus came from the Father full of grace. But he didn't just come full of grace. He also came full of truth. And the amazing thing is that when we have grace and truth, now we can speak into each other's lives. We don't just love each other right where they're at and leave them there because that's not what Jesus does. 
We love each other where we're at, and we celebrate where we're at. We celebrate where God has brought you from. Look at how much progress he's already made. But he's calling you to something better still. He's got a new level for you. He wants to see you set free from that. He wants you to be set free from that discouragement, set free from that disappointment, set free from that habit. He wants to loose you on earth so you can be loosed in the spirit, so you can walk in the freedom Jesus paid for you to have. And if we can build a culture of grace and truth, the world has nothing that can compare to that we're plan a we're all that god's got he's designed for community in christ christ-centered community for us to have that that's different than anybody else experiences a culture of grace and truth empowers us to have life-changing community you see the world can find community but it has no mechanism for life change But when we give each other full grace, that means you can be fully known right where you're at. You don't have to put on a show. You don't have to perform. You don't have to do the social media thing. You can be real. Now, I know we all have an understanding, a church past with somebody who wasn't real. We all know somebody who was in church, and they were performing in church. And God forbid, maybe that person sitting next to you today, or maybe that person sitting in your seat today, right? We, We all know somebody who's performed in church. Because we bring our own junk, our own hang-ups, our own issues from the culture into the church. But if we can build the culture God's called us to build, if we can be the people that God's called us to be, we can set aside that performance mentality where we have to think that everybody has to be so impressed with what a great Christian we are, and we can drop the facade and actually empower others to speak into our life and love us right where we are. See, the reality is this doesn't usually happen on Sunday mornings. The reality is on Sunday mornings, most of us are at our best. We may not be at our best on the way to church, but most of us are at our best when we're at church, right? Uh, I, I don't wear a shirt from the dry cleaners everywhere that I go, but I do wear a press shirt on Sunday mornings because I know that you guys have to look at me, and so I try to be as, as cleaned up and, and somewhat professional as I can be. We don't wear suit and tie here, praise God, uh, but, but I still don't want to look sloppy up here, right? But you know what the guys on Tuesday morning see at Man Up? They see me in a wrinkled t-shirt that I threw on when I rolled out of bed. You know why? Because they see the real Troy. They see the real me. See, on Sunday mornings, I'm fired up, and I'm raising my hands, and I'm worshiping. And that's not fake. Don't get me wrong. It's an environment that when I enter in that environment, I can't help but worship Jesus. I can't help but lift his name. I can't help but give him the glory and the worth that he, is wor- that, that he deserves. I'm not saying it's fake or it's counterfeit, but also I'm also saying you don't see that on Tuesday mornings because I'm trying to wake up, right? Because I, I didn't get enough sleep the night before. Why? Because it's the real me. And those guys in Man Up on Tuesdays, they know the real me. They know the stuff that my family's going through. They know the stuff that we're praying through. They know the challenges and the weaknesses. Why? Because I have to be known. I'm designed to be known. And we all are. We are designed to know and be known. And there's a culture of grace and truth in our group on Tuesday mornings that I'm so grateful for. That I can share where I'm at and our men can call me to be better. And together we can pursue the next level that God has called us to. And it's real, and it's genuine, and it's authentic, and it's what God has designed for it to be. And it's not just man up, it's just that's the group that I'm a part of. So that's the one I get to brag on. 
see, the best mechanism that we have here at City Church for biblical community is city groups. You can call them small groups. You can call them connect groups. You can call them life groups. Everybody's got a different name for them. I don't really care what you call them. I just want you to be in one because there's life in it. There's power in it. There's freedom in it. It's what God has designed for us to have. In fact, I told you earlier that we all have this desire to know and to be known, but I think true biblical community goes one level beyond that. And biblical community, number one, I know others. Number two, I am known. But number three, together, I make God known. We make God known. See, when we really have the community we're designed to, it points to Jesus. When we really love each other the way we're designed to, when we really know each other the way that we're designed to, Jesus is glorified. The world sees Christ. Why? Because there's nothing else like it. There, there, there's no place where we can discover that, where we have that kind of freedom, where we have that kind of grace, we have that kind of truth, we have that kind of life change. It's the only thing. And so when we truly discover biblical community, I get to know others, I get known, and together we make God known. I'm going to share with you one last passage before we bring our group leaders up here. In Colossians chapter 3, it says this. Listen to, to this description of church. This was not written to a pastor. This was written about the church. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. I believe in God-given community there's, there's peace that's different than anything else. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Why? Since as members of one body, he's talking to the church, you're members of one body, you're joined together. He says you were called to peace. You ever wrestled with what you're, you're called for in life? Most of us have. And I do believe there's a unique, specific calling on each of us and something God put you on earth for that he didn't put anybody else for. But I also know the Apostle Paul, the author of Colossians, gave us one piece of all of our calling. Did you know you were called to peace? You were called to be an agent of peace. You were called to be a representative of peace. You were called to walk and live in peace. He says, and be thankful. Then he says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. What is that? That's the word of God. Let the word of God live in you, the message of Jesus. Let it live in you so richly as you do what? As you teach and admonish one another. Now, not all of us have a teaching gift. Not all of us are going to teach, but all of us have the ability to admonish, to encourage each other, to challenge each other, to speak into one another's life. He says, as you teach and admonish one another, and then he says this, with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. What are we designed to do, guys? We're designed to have peace. We're designed to study the word, to teach and admonish one another, speak into each other's lives, and we're designed to worship together. That's church. That's God-given community. That's what God desires for everybody. And I believe that's what that yearning inside each of us towards community is. It's our God DNA created in the image of God. I want to know others. I want to be known. I want to make Jesus known. Now, City Groups is not the only part of that, and again, it's just scratching the surface too because it's one night a week. But we better be able to at least take that big of a step. We're never going to solve the problem of the culture if we can't even create a night to have God-given community. We're just not. I know we're busy, guys. I know what it's like to have kids playing ball and schedules and then all the other things going on. I know what it's like just to be tired when you get home from work. But we've been given the keys to the kingdom. If we don't solve the problems of loneliness and isolation, they will never be solved. 
But if we'll lean into what God has designed church to be, if we'll receive that responsibility, that if it's up to me, it's up to me. I'm going to choose community. I'm going to pursue community. I'm going to seek community. I'm going to take these steps. And sometimes it happens quickly, and sometimes it's a process. And maybe, maybe you're like, well, I was in a small group before, and it didn't work. Uh, I was in a city group, and I still felt lonely. I still felt isolated. Can I just encourage you to try again? Don't give up. Don't settle for that emptiness in your heart. Don't settle for that place where you're disconnected. I want to I encourage another group of people today because there, there are others of us who we have community right now. Man, maybe you've got community here at City Church, in which case, praise God, I'm so grateful that you do. I know a lot of you do. Maybe you got community outside of City Church. There's a bunch of group buddies or work buddies. It's, it's people you grew up with. It's your extended family, man. Your family's just super close, and you guys do life together, and you've got all that, and it's handled. And so you're not feeling this need today. You're not lonely. You're not isolated. You're good. Can I encourage you this morning that if that's you, you are especially positioned to help solve this problem? Because I promise you there's people in this room right now who are feeling the loneliness. There's people in this room right now who are feeling the isolation. And if you're not feeling it, praise God, bring that gift and share it with somebody else. Be community for somebody who is hurting, for somebody who doesn't have it. The Bible calls us to bear one another's burdens. I shouldn't just be worried about what bothers me. I shouldn't just be worried about what's lacking in my life. I'm actually called to step in and recognize the shortage in the lives of those around me and to bear their burdens. And so if I have community today, praise God, let me help somebody else find community. That might mean you need to start praying about leading a group next semester because you're uniquely positioned for that because you don't have to come to the group to have somebody else get community with you so you can help them find community with each other. Don't settle for where we're at. We're uniquely positioned to solve this problem. We've been given the keys to the kingdom. Let's use the keys. Let's unlock the door and let's see loneliness and isolation decrease rather than increase. Would you pray with me?